0: Jeremiah chapter 1 I have to tell you right off the bat it's got 52 chapters and I have no idea how long it's going to take so I hope you don't worry about that because I'm not worried about it either as a matter of fact I thought I was going to be through the whole chapter and I don't even think we'll touch but a few verses but that's okay we need to lay down a good foundation in our study of the book of Jeremiah so let's do that Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer first Father thank you so much for giving us the hope of eternal life through the grace that you have given us through Jesus Christ. And tonight, Lord God, as we study this book, the book of Jeremiah, that we may be touched by everything that is said, not only in the life of Jeremiah, but in the many verses that are so encouraging to us. That your thoughts are always of us. That you desire, Lord God. Uh, our hearts to be changed and to be new. And and for us, Lord, to not con- uh, be confident or to trust in flesh, but to trust solely and completely in you. May all the truths that we learn as we go through this book in the next few weeks, months, and maybe in a couple of years, whatever it takes, may we learn of you more and more, grow in you more and more love you more and more, serve you more and more. Anoint us and bless us, Lord, tonight as we study this. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Jeremiah 1, verses 1-3. through The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anatot, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year, of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. History has taught us that at some point in time, every nation and society has experienced difficulties whether moral or economic, military or political, foreign or domestic. Economically, there are recessions and depressions, low wages and unemployment, huge expenditures with limited resources, as well as selfishness and theft. But just in this one category alone, any or all these issues can infect whole nations as well as small communities. Every generation throughout the world has experienced every sort of political upheaval, party politics, and the weakening and collapse of certain governments and the rise of others, assassinations of world leaders and the rise of world empires. Add to these things that every generation has, has witnessed some society becoming cesspools of covetousness and greed, brutality and injustice, violence, violence and lawlessness. Considering all of these things, just think that Jeremiah the prophet was born into such a turbulent, confused and chaotic society and world. Can you even comprehend for a moment that the Lord chose Jeremiah to be God's prophet during some of the most tempestuous times of human history? Days that would eventually be It will eventually be catastrophic for Israel in general and Judah in particular. And while Judah and its capital Jerusalem were to be utterly destroyed during Jeremiah's ministry, he was chosen by God to warn the world of God's impending judgment. And he was set apart by God to assure true believers of God's love and care, the hope of the promised Messiah, and the establishment of of His eternal kingdom on earth. The English historian Lord Macaulay would write these words, It is difficult to conceive any situation more painful than that of a great man, condemned to watch the lingering agony of an exhausted country, to tend it during the alternate fits of stupefaction, which by the way means confusion, and raving which precede its destruction, and to see the symptoms of vitality disappear one by one, till nothing is left but coldness, darkness, and corruption. Yet Jeremiah found this exact destiny thrust upon him. Is it any wonder that he is not only called the weeping prophet, but the reluctant prophet? Jeremiah not only faced personal opposition and emotional trauma, but physical discomfort and pain as well. And He, just like our Savior Jesus Christ, grieved over the sins of His people while bearing the scars of bravery, of consecration, and eventual triumph. You see, it has been said of Jeremiah that he wasn't the greatest prophet as some have considered Isaiah to be for his grand writing of Christ's coming. Jeremiah wasn't the most mystical prophet, as Ezekiel has been called for the great visions that he received and recorded. He indeed wasn't the most successful of the prophets, that honor going to Jonah for preaching a single message resulting in the repentance of an entire city, the entire city of Nineveh. But without any doubt, Jeremiah was the most courageous of all the prophets. He was tied up, and he was thrown into a dungeon by his enemies. He was rejected by family and friends. He was made fun of by other prophets and priests. He was placed in stocks and beaten, humiliated, and ridiculed. And yet for 42 years, he kept on proclaiming the message that God had laid on his heart. 42 years, and think of this 42 years and not a single person responded 42 years and not a single convert to return to the Lord 42 years You know there's a great lesson in all of this for us tonight That is that God hasn't asked us or even commanded us to be successful Folks listen carefully to what I'm saying Because people will tell you that God has called you to be successful. You listen to what I say tonight. God hasn't asked us or even commanded us to be successful. He has called us to be faithful. He said, do what I say. And that's what Jeremiah did. And he did it faithfully. He faithfully preached the message That judgment was coming to the nation of Judah due to the gross immorality, idolatry, and all manner of carnality. And reminding God's people that because of all of this, they were bringing an avalanche of judgment upon themselves. Now go back for a moment and listen to that list that I just gave you. Jeremiah's preaching a message to a nation that was full of gross immorality. Does that sound familiar to you? He was preaching this message to a nation that was filled with idolatry. Does that sound familiar to you? He was preaching a message to a nation that had all manner of carnality and fleshly desires all about them. Does that sound familiar to you? What is wrong with our nation today? If we were to say that those three things are what is wrong with our nation, we'd be right. In a nation that was founded upon the Word of God, a nation founded upon the principles of the the Judeo-Christian ethic, A nation founded upon the Ten Commandments. A nation whose founding fathers were for the most part believers in Jesus Christ. And preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would say that the book of Jeremiah is for us today a message for our country. what we're doing is what the people did bringing an avalanche of judgment upon ourselves as a nation well keep that in mind as we keep studying this book of Jeremiah because in these 52 chapters you will find that God sent more than a series of sermons to Judah he sent a man You will meet a prophet who faithfully delivered God's message, not just with his lips, but with his heart and with his life. Consider once again these three verses that we read earlier. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anatot in the land of Benjamin to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah the son of Ammon king of Judah in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim the son of Josiah king of Judah until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah the son of Josiah king of Judah until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Now the exact meaning of Jeremiah's name is disputed But suggested renderings would be that Jeremiah means appointed by God or established by God. Very literally, the name is whom Yahweh has appointed. And certainly as we look at the next couple of verses after these three, that Jeremiah was indeed appointed or called by God. He was the chief prophet during the days of the destruction of the nation of Judah. Serving at the same time with other prophets as well. The prophet Habakkuk. The prophet Zephaniah. A little bit of time with Ezekiel, but later on with Daniel the prophet as well. During the same time frame. Jeremiah's ministry would begin about 60 years after the death of the prophet Isaiah. It is interesting that at the start of Jeremiah's ministry, and let's look at the dates from about 627 B.C. or 626 B.C. all the way to 586 B.C. That's the extent of Jeremiah's ministry, at least to the nation of Israel before they go into captivity. He ministered at the same time with Habakkuk, who could be, called, who could be thought of as the praying prophet, And Zephaniah, who could be considered as the preaching prophet. And when you combine these with Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, we see examples of how we are to minister in the days and times in which we live today. In other words, preaching and praying and weeping passionately over and against the sin that so permeates our society and our culture today. We need more preachers that have this kind of heart like the prophets of old that had to stand against a whole nation of people who forsook their God, who forsook their God's Word, who forsook their God's promises and preach the Word of God faithfully, pray for people faithfully and weep over these things. I sometimes think that we're so quick to get from one place to the other, to do one thing or another, that we don't take time to realize how much in trouble our nation is today and how troubled our world is. And rather than look at the situations that are all about us and complain about them, that we need to start praying and asking God for mercy. This is one reason why we need to live godly in the present time. Because you see, when we're not godly, when we are off and about on our own uh, pursuits of things, we're not praying. And we're not so concerned with the burdens of our time. And we won't weep over the problems that people have, or the fact that their sin can lead them and take them into an eternity apart from God. So as Peter has said in 1 Peter 4 verse 7, that because because we're in the last days, we should be serious and watchful in our prayers and in our preaching and in our weeping for our land the historic background for the prophecy of Jeremiah is as such the northern kingdom of Israel and this is kind of a quick review here so uh, bear with me the northern kingdom of Israel was taken away by the Assyrians in 722 BC during the reign of Hezekiah in Judah while Isaiah was the prophet after King Hezekiah Manasseh became king and led the people into a backslidden condition due to idolatry. Now Manasseh was king for 55 years after which he died. And his son Ammon served as king for only two years before he was assassinated. Ammon's son Josiah, now there's a word, that there's a name that we read earlier in the first three verses. Ammon's son Josiah was then crowned as king when he was only 8 years old Josiah reigned for 31 years and we're told in the scriptures that he was a good king the last actually the last of the good kings of Judah having brought a measure of revival to the land prior to its final slide into idolatry and judgment he had he had some reforms that you know that that uh, Got people to look toward God again and toward God's Word again. Unfortunately, toward the end of Josiah's reign, the people were only doing lip service again. It wasn't from the heart. It was just outward. And so, they would fall back into judgment. It is in the 13th year of this king, Josiah's reign, that Jeremiah begins his ministry the Assyrians who had been the big bully on the block are weakening and sliding downward, losing one battle after another to the Babylonians. In fact, the combined armies of Babylon and the Medes would conquer the Assyrian capital of Nineveh in 612 B.C. Jeremiah received his call about the year 626 B.C. Considered to be that 13th year of Josiah's reign. Now we are told in verse 1, of our text, that Jeremiah came from the priestly family of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth, which was in the land of Benjamin. You know, it's interesting that this would put him in the geographical family as Saul, the first king of Israel, and Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor, who would become the great Christian apostle, Paul. But just in the geographic family, as it were, Consider the other kings of Judah during Jeremiah's calling. Consider Jehoiakim mentioned in our text. In 2 Kings 23 verse 34 it says, Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim the son of Josiah king in place of his father Josiah and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt, and Jehoahaz was the king in the north, and went to Egypt and he died there. Now, in Second Kings twenty-three, verses thirty-six and thirty-seven, just a few verses later, we're told about Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was twenty-five years old when he became king, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebuda, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah, and he, and notice verse thirty-seven, this is what's most important. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father's had done. That is, all the fathers who were kings, who were all bad kings, who did evil in the sight of the Lord, not Josiah. And then in 2 Kings chapter 24, we come to that person named Zedekiah. Zedekiah is also mentioned in our text. Zedekiah was 21 years old, it says in verses 18 through 20 of 2 Kings 24. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned. 11 years in Jerusalem, his mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. Not the same Jeremiah, by the way. Verse 19, he also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, now listen to this, because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast him out of his presence, or out from his presence, And then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. But that phrase in verse 20, the first phrase, For because of the anger of the Lord this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out from his presence. So the death knell had rung for Judah. No matter what, everything had been done by Josiah. And so in the next chapter, 2 Kings 25 verses 1 and 2, And this is something that we need to keep in mind. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around, so the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. So you see the downfall of a nation... That did not have God as their Lord, though they were His people. How sad! Going back to our text in Jeremiah now. Notice the first phrase of verse two. It says, "To whom the Lord—I'm sorry—to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year." Of his reign. Notice that first phrase and also in verse 3. Because it says, To whom the word of the Lord came. And then in verse 3 it says, It also came. I mean, this was to be the ministry of Jeremiah the prophet. The word of the Lord came to him that he would be the fourth teller and the foreteller of God's word to a sinful, arrogant, and idolatrous people. A fourth teller, Telling forth... The word of God. A foreteller. Being able to see ahead. God giving him vision. To look ahead at the future. And of the judgment that was to come. If they did not repent of their sins. That was the ministry of the prophet. The ministry of the prophet was twofold. To be a foreteller. Thus saith the Lord. To be a foreteller. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to take place because of your sin, because of your disobedience, because of your rebellion. Now, we're told that Jeremiah was from a priestly family, and so as a priest, Jeremiah's duties would have been somewhat predictable. Just about everything that he had to do as a priest was written down in the law. All the priest had to do was follow instructions. Do what the law said. Every day, there were sacrifices to offer, lepers to examine, unclean people to prohibit from the camp, clean people to restore, ceremonies to observe, a sanctuary to maintain, and the law to teach. Every day, this is what the priest did. For some priests, all of that was burdensome to the point of boredom, and even scorn. How interesting that the Lord would have, to <clears throat> would have to send a message to Malachi the prophet, to the priests, when in Malachi 1.13 he says, You also say, Oh, what a weariness. In other words, they were weary because they were doing God's work as priests. Oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick. In other words, you offer what I don't want offered to me, I want the best. You bring me the sick, the, the worst. Thus, you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand? Says the Lord. You see how easy it is, even for priests, to fall into that trap of the routine, the ruts, and then the routine. You know, as Christians, we have to be very careful. A. W. Tozer wrote a book. It's great. It's called Rut, Rot, or Revival. So. He talks about how we get into a routine, and from the routine we fall into a rut. And, you know, as we stay in that rut, you know, just kind of doing things, but just kind of doing them, as, uh, you know, kind of almost automatically in our you know. Uh, we go, then, you know, we begin to rot. And That's really not the way we're supposed to live our Christian life. We're supposed to live it every day with joy and gladness of heart as an exciting thing to do for the Lord. Whatever it may be, it doesn't have to be a big thing. You know, God says if you're faithful in the little things, I'll make you faithful in the big things. But that's the way it is with some of us. We, 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 We get into a routine and it becomes boring to us. I tell you what, the Christian life is far from boring. If we will have a personal relationship with Jesus through it all, far from boring. It only shows where your heart is if you just kind of think it's weary. <laughs> it's not supposed to be weary. Maybe sometimes that's why God throws some things at us and wake us up. And we need to be ready for some of that. But you, but you get the idea now that a priest, you know, just does what he's just told to do. But for Jeremiah to be a prophet now, he's used to being a priest, but now he's to be a prophet, that was a different matter altogether. You would never know from one day to the next what the Lord would call you to say or to do as a prophet. That's why a prophet always had to be before God. God, what do you want me to say today? Because this may be totally different than what I said yesterday to the other people. And yet it's still going to be following your word. You see. As Warren Wiersbe puts it, he says the priest worked primarily to conserve the past by protecting and maintaining the sanctuary ministry, but the prophet labored, the prophet labored to change the present so the nation would have a future. I love that statement. The priests worked to conserve the past, the prophet to change the present, so the nature, or so that the nation would have a future. What a tremendous statement! When the prophet saw the people going in the wrong direction, he sought to call them back to the right path. That's what a prophet had to do. Priests, in other words, dealt with externals. But the prophet was called to reach and to change hearts. By the way, the word heart is found in the book of Jeremiah 66 times. I say that's pretty significant. Sixty-six times the word heart is mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. So consider the contrasts between the priest and the prophet in this passage from the book of Hebrews that I want to read to you in a moment. And I want you to notice the quote from the book of Jeremiah and the emphasis on the heart. Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 18. And every priest stands... Ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus Christ, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after He had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put My laws into their hearts. And in their minds I will write them. then He adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34. And then Paul goes on to add, now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And so, it would have been a lot easier for Jeremiah if he he had just stayed and served as a priest. Do the same thing every day. You know what you're going to do when you get up. Same place, same place. Same thing, same thing. I used to like that commercial. <laughs> Pup and taco or something like that. <laughs> From California, you know. <laughs> but you know, this may this, this may have been the reason why his first response to the call of God was to question it. Jeremiah questions the call of God. Go back. Let's go go to verses 4-6. through Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And what would you have said to God? Don't tell me, because you might get in trouble. Think about the question. What would you have said to God? (laughs) Thank you, Lord. I'm ready. Yeah, right. Then said I, verse 6, Ah, oh, Lord God. This is, a, this is a, a, a patented Jeremiah phrase you're going to find throughout the book. Ah, oh, Lord God. Behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. I'm a youth. <laughs> By the way, he's not saying that he was 15 or 12 He was either he was between twenty and thirty years old, quite possibly even as close to forty, but probably in his twenties when he said this. (laughs) I'm a youth. He's questioning God you know it doesn't come as a big surprise though it doesn't come as a big surprise that Jeremiah hesitated as he, as he looked look, look at the three things he looks at he looks at the work before him as a prophet he looks at the wickedness all around him there's an outline here you need to not miss work before him wickedness around him thirdly the weakness that he saw within him work Wickedness, weakness. That's what he was seeing. Isn't that what we see every day? Sometimes we look at the incredible challenge that that comes in being a believer in Jesus Christ in a world that hates Christians. We look at the wickedness that is all around us. You know, when, when in one sense we're trying to, you know, keep our, our focus on the Lord. And in another way, we're, we're trying to get away from the temptation of it all. That's when we look at the weakness that's within us. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is Weak. And Jeremiah, in essence, is asking the Lord, how can, he, you know, how can I be the man for the job? Would that not be our response? In the presence of a holy God? We better be careful when we think that we are the men for the job or the woman for the job. We better be careful if we think that we are in and of ourselves capable of doing any job for the Lord. Be careful. I just want you to ask the Apostle Paul when you see him. Because Paul knew. Look at what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. Paul says to the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to serve the Lord in these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, But as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Our sufficiency isn't of us. It isn't in us. And he makes that clear a few verses later in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 6, when he says we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Our sufficiency. One translation says our competency is from God. I believe that's the New American Standard Version. Our competency is from God. Whenever God calls us, folks, whenever God calls us, it is important to remember that He never makes mistakes. God just doesn't make mistakes. And right out of the chute, Jeremiah says, I think you made a mistake, Lord. <laughs> hey, the, the, the real precious thing here is that Jeremiah wasn't turned into a little you know, mound of ashes. God, God knew what his response was going to be. But please remember that God never makes mistakes. And it makes me wonder if Jeremiah was listening to the Lord at all. I sometimes wonder if you listen at all. Honestly. I'm not, I'm not cutting you all down, I, you know. I mean, I've got to confess this, my wife's here. You know, she'll be saying something to me and I'm, I'm listening I'm nodding my head and I like, can you repeat that <laughs> I don't know where my mind was there. <laughs> I heard you saying things you know we all do that don't we oh, please say yes <laughs> thank you <laughs> I take it by your laughter that you understand what I'm talking about so sometimes I'm up here I'm wondering are you listening to me at all I remember one time I went out after a study on Sunday morning, and this guy comes up with me uh, comes up to me and he's written all these notes, uh, he was a visitor, as a matter of fact, that's why I could say this story, but because of these, and he shows me all these notes, and he says, "Why did you say this?" I said, "I never said that." He wrote down stuff I never said. He said, "Are you sure?" I said I showed him I, went, I came back out my nose, and said, "See, I said this, Oh my goodness, <laughs> I have no idea what he was listening to." That scares me about this tonight. How <laughs> are you going to go around telling stories about me, you know, abusing my wife or something? Please don't do that, okay? <laughs> I was just telling a story about listening, but not, you know, hear, uh, hearing, but not listening. You know that that's what we, the way we are sometimes. We hear, but we don't listen. And I don't think that Jeremiah was listening. Because I want you to listen to what the Lord said to him. Look at verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. A seminary professor once told a student this. He said, try to explain divine election and you may lose your mind. But explain it away, and you will lose your soul. God doesn't save us, call us, or use us in His service because we are deserving, but because in His wisdom and grace, He chooses to do so. It is grace, in other words. It is grace from start to finish. It is grace from beginning to end. I was saying this on Sunday. I guess it's something we just need to hear again. It is grace from beginning to end, from start to finish. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. I love what Paul says. He says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Folks, it wasn't Popeye who first coined that phrase I am what I am and all that I am. It was Paul. And actually it wasn't even Paul, if you go to Exodus chapter 3. God said it first. When I go to the Egyptians, what name should I give them of you? I am that I am. And I kept thinking God would say, that's all that I am. (laughs) I am that I am. But notice what Paul says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And you see, when God spoke to Jeremiah, He said first and foremost, God, He says to him, Jeremiah, I knew you. God knew Jeremiah, point one. God knew Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Not only does this speak of the implications on whether there is life in the womb. Folks, this is one of the greatest passages of Scripture that people need to listen to and read about how much God loves us, that He knows us before we've even born. Abortion is a dreadful sin. But not only does it speak of those implications on whether there is life in the womb, this phrase especially refers to God's sovereign election of His servant. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God chose him before he was conceived, and then He formed Jeremiah. I knew you and I formed you. And gave him the genetic structure that he wanted Jeremiah to possess. The same thing that David says in Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Folks, that's something that each and every one of us in this room tonight can say with confidence. We can say these same words. I will praise you God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Is God not sovereign in our lives? And then thirdly, God sanctified Jeremiah before he was born. What does it mean to sanctify someone? It means to set him apart. God set apart Jeremiah before he was born. Jeremiah was set apart by the Lord and for the Lord even before he knew the Lord in a personal way. You know that Paul experienced this too. Paul writes of it in Galatians 1.15 when he says, But when it pleased God who separated me who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through His grace. Paul experienced it. He knew it. He separated me from my mother's womb. Even before I became a Pharisee. Even before I became a persecutor of the church. God set, set me apart. Not to be those things. to become his servant and then fourthly God ordained Jeremiah to be his prophet to the nations this is God's concern and has been from the very beginning that all nations of the earth know his salvation that all the nations of the earth know the salvation that comes from the Lord himself You can go all the way back to the person of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord has said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is God's concern from the beginning. And Israel would be that nation to show God to the world. It actually became the nation that would usher in Messiah to the world, the light of the world. I leave you with the thought of Jeremiah's excuse, and with the initial reason for his being called the reluctant prophet. He says, All Lord God, verse six, behold, I, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Jeremiah isn't alone. In making excuses before God. I could probably say that all of us at some point in time in our life have made some excuses before God. But in the scriptures, Jeremiah is not alone with making excuses before God. We would say that one of the greatest men of all times was Moses. But Moses made excuses before God. He was full of excuses, too. Turn to Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech, slow of tongue I don't know that he said it that way but I would think that he would say it that way as an excuse I'm not eloquent but I'm slow Lord. you know we, we kind of had the melodrama to help us out before God trying to make excuses and so the Lord said to him who's made man's mouth Or who makes the mute? The deaf? The seeing? Or the blind? Have not I the Lord? You got no excuse, buddy. In other words. No excuse. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. The story's not done there, but we don't have time to go with all. You can read the rest later. So what was God's reply, you see? Very simple. I'm the one who made you, Moses. I made your mouth. I made your tongue. I'll make it fast. You might have it slow, but I'll make it fast. I'll make it the way I want it to be so that the people hear the message just the way I want them to hear it. Because it isn't you, Moses. It isn't you, David. It isn't you, Paul. It isn't you, Jeremiah. It isn't you, Isaiah. It's me. The God who made you and formed you Before you were born, I knew you, even before I formed you, I made you. He made us exactly like He wanted us to be. And folks, may I reiterate, He doesn't make mistakes. (laughs) Of course, God does have a sense of humor. I know that every time I get up in the morning and look in the mirror... He's got a tremendous sense of humor. Sometimes the Lord actually can use the things that we consider to be our weaknesses. God will use them. Because He's able to do that. Because He's perfect in all of His ways. And you know, 1 Corinthians 2. I want to read it in two separate uh, uh, translations. Uh, the first uh, translation is in the, King, in the New King James, uh, verses 1-5. through five, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In the New Living Translation, it is translated this way. Dear brothers and sisters, when I first came to you, I didn't use lofty words and and brilliant ideas to tell you God's message. For I decided to concentrate only on on Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. I did not use wise and persuasive speeches, but the Holy Spirit was powerful among you. I did this so that you might trust the power of God rather than human wisdom. And that's the lesson not only that Isaiah is going to learn in all of this, but it's the lesson that we ourselves can learn today. Don't look at yourselves as mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ tonight, saved by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, forgiven by the blood of the Lamb, and God can use you and God wants to use you and God will use you if we'll just say lord you know you know me you made me you fill me you teach me you help me you speak through me lord you give me wisdom you be my wisdom You give me strength. Lord, be my strength. You give me opportunity. Lord, I'll take it not because of me, but because you're worthy. You're worthy to be served. And you're worthy to be praised. Let's pray.